0: And Jay um, in, you know, high emotion said to me, you don't love me. You say you do, but you love your memories of me. You love the me that you want me to be or the me that you think I should be. You don't really love me. And I immediately, I, you know, I didn't go, oh, my gosh, what a profound insight you've just shared with me. I went, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Of course I love you. I've known you before you were born. Of course I love you. And Jay just looked at me and said, not the real me.
1: So I've been fascinated for some time by one of the great tensions of our shared humanity, our propensity to experience at one and the same time both great love and great suffering, where we can find ourselves both holy and broken, hurting and healed. As a pastor, I've seen people face the worst moments of life and yet in them discover the greatest moments of their humanity. Where suffering and struggle and injustice birth something profoundly honest and real and hopeful. If you're anything like me, I yearn to hear stories of women and men from around the world who have found themselves wrestling with God and as a result have walked away with a beautiful limp. I'm Andrew Gardner and this is a broken hallelujah. Well, here we are in Episode 7, and you are back and listening once again. Thank you so much if you're returning to the podcast. I never take that for granted. Uh, Or you might be listening for the very first time. Uh, This is your first time stumbling upon the podcast or checking it out. Uh, Welcome. Uh, I hope this will be uh, something that you'll find incredibly encouraging for you and inspiring uh, in your life and wherever it is that you are right now. Um, I I just want to say so many of you reached out on email to me uh, off the back of Episode 7. Six and my conversation with the Brolins and their experience of being kidnapped by Islamic terrorists. Uh, that episode just blew so many people's minds and just was really helpful for a lot of people uh, and going through whatever struggle or trial or trauma uh, or hard moment in life that they were facing. And there were so many beautiful, rich truths that the Brolins brought uh, in the previous episode. Do check that out if you haven't listened yet. Uh, but today is um, actually, for me, such a profound conversation. Um, I'm really humbled um, by the fact that we have uh, Linda Pezzavento with us today. Uh, she is uh, based in Australia. She runs an incredible ministry for women there called the She Is Project. Uh, but today we're actually talking about her personal journey in her family of her eldest child who um, had a gender dysphoria for a number of years and is currently transitioning uh, from male to female. Um, and we get a chance to talk about uh, transgender, uh, transgender issues, and what in particular it's been like for, for her uh, as a mother uh, to go through that and uh, how that's impacted her relationship with her eldest child, uh, as well as, of course, her relationship with God. And I think this is such a current and important topic. Um, I think this is something that is very rarely spoken about in church. Um, and I think it's great that we can host this conversation on a podcast like this, um, open up a very honest uh, and really kind of humble conversation around it uh, and you'll hear so much of um, Linda sharing from her own personal experience, uh, not trying to kind of represent all of the LGBTQ plus community but just uh, someone who's uh, trying to speak on behalf of what they have experienced in their family um, and I think right up front, you know, we're just really humbled by the fact that um, her eldest child was uh, very happy for us to have uh, their story told on this podcast and uh, again we don't take that uh, for granted either Um, that's something that's just so uh, important to us and uh, yeah I think it sets us up for being able to really uh, bring open hearts and open minds to a conversation like this so I don't want to take up any more time I think Linda's got so much richness and good things to share Um, so without further ado here's my conversation with Linda Pezzavento. Linda, we are so grateful that you're taking the time to join us. Welcome to A Broken Hallelujah.
0: Thank you so much. So excited to be talking with you.
1: So uh, tell us a little bit about um, your background, who you are, uh, where you're based, uh, a bit about your family, uh, and then we'll kind of open up the conversation from there.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, the short version, I'm married to Gary (laughs) and uh, I'm I'm. A little bit uh, over the 50s now um, <laughs> in age. And uh, Gary and I live in Australia uh, in a place called Mount Kira, just near the ocean and the mountains. So it's fantastic. Mm, uh, it is. And uh, we have two children who are almost 23 and 20, an overindulged Labradoodle who is the focus of everybody's love and affection. And uh, we've been here for coming up to 16 years after 10 wonderful years in Hong Kong, Mm. which is, uh, yeah, where we got you.
1: That's how you and I got to know each other and the families. Yeah, exactly. And um, and if I'm not wrong, I think you've um, had some work experience within a church. You've been a pastor for a while. Tell us a little bit about your background in that sense.
0: Yeah, so uh, I um, have, I think, you know, followed the trajectory of most uh, middle-class evangelicals in Australia, which was to become a kids' pastor and then a worship pastor and then the women's pastor, and uh, then it sort of uh, culminated in being the executive pastor of a church here in Wollongong. Uh, So... That's uh, been, was probably a good 20 years of my life. Um, all of those roles were voluntary. So I w- I've never been on paid staff, but I have been on full-time staff right. uh, for mu- much of that time. And uh, I finished up officially pastoring about five years ago mm-hmm. and now run uh, a ministry for women uh, called the She Project, which is based around uh, stories and uh, empowering women to own the story of uh, what God's doing in their life and give a voice to the fullness and the wholeness of their experience uh, to find healing in that journey. And I guess um, as part of that journey, I decided to uh, get qualified as a counsellor. I've got education and business qualifications, um, but I really felt like counselling was the direction that life was taking me. So mm-hmm. I've just finished up uh, being actually qualified to do what I think I've been doing informally uh, for most of my life, which is (laughs) listening to people and uh, helping them process what's going on in their life.
1: Right, exactly. My my wife's a counsellor as well, and I I always sort of pull a leg that I I basically spend most of my time as a counsellor because I'm a pastor, and she always looks at me and goes, no, you are not a (laughs) counsellor. (laughs) <laughs> you're barely a pastor you're not a counselor <laughs> so um uh, so I, I i know that sort of journey and uh, that's fantastic that you've you kind of taken yourself in that direction and obviously uh, gotten qualified there and, and helping so many people in that um tell us a little bit about your your faith journey um and uh, sort of whether that was something that was just a part of your family from from sort of the start or if that was something that you kind of came into at some point in your life
0: Mm. Uh, Well, I was fortunate uh, to grow up in a really loving home. I'm the eldest of five girls. Uh, We grew up in a a rural community uh, just south of Wollongong. Uh, My dad is a third generation dairy farming family. And so it was a great childhood in that respect. Um, My parents uh, first started taking us to a Seventh Day Adventist church, but that journey is a subject for another conversation. Um, when I was about six, we, uh, our next-door neighbours took my sisters and I off to the local Anglican church, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved potluck dinners and flower arranging and lawn mowing rosters and uh, (laughs) church cleaning (laughs) rosters and teaching little kids in creation. And I also loved God, but I really enjoyed Mm. the structured community (laughs) and uh, being a a small community. (laughs) It was a a very, um, you know, everybody knew everybody and church (laughs) was really the hub of the social life and the life of the community. uh, And I thrived in that space.
1: Sound like you were a, you were a very good Anglican, loved the church more than you loved God. Oh, did I just say that? Did I just say that out loud? Apologies to all
2: the Anglicans well,
0: listening. Right, that now. that that may have become apparent to me later on, um, and <laughs> I became a teenager and I started uh, asking some hard questions of my reverend and myself and my parents. Uh, but I I loved the foundation that the Anglican Church mm. gave me, both in knowing how to really live in engaged and authentic community with my neighbours, right. and also uh, just really rock solid Bible reading and uh, knowing how to open up the Bible and getting you know great foundation in that. Um, but I guess I outgrew my community as I wanted to seek you know greener pastures and fields afar and at the same time I changed churches and I started to find I had more questions than people had answers and that I I suppose became the beginning of what has been probably a 30-plus year journey of really learning how to be open to the fullness of God rather than thinking I had him sorted at 16 when I got confirmed in the Anglican Church. Um, you know, I was able to recite all the things that were necessary at that point. And I think to my 16-year-old brain, I also thought, well, I've got my faith sorted. Right. I've I've ticked all of the the doctrinal statements and I can agree to those things and now I'm ready to launch in life. And the more I launched into life, the more I realised that what I thought I knew I didn't know and uh, there was a whole lot more to know than um, I had yet experienced, and so.
1: And I think that's like one of the absolute beauties of our Christian faith, isn't it that that there's this there's this very central element of the mystery of God. You know, we can obviously know Him, we can grow in our knowledge of Him, we can encounter Him beautifully through the Word, through experience, and yet there's there's a part of God that is yet to be discovered. There are elements of Him that mm. that are so often beyond perhaps where we're at or what we fully grasp um you know I, i'm always amazed at paul's kind of reflections on a god who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine i mean he's he's always beyond us and this mystery of scripture and i think of our faith is something that welcomes us into a lifelong learning journey. And I think there's a huge amount of humility that's needed. And I know that many of the times when I've been frustrated in my own faith journey, it's because I've sort of gotten to the point where it's like, I thought I had that figured out. Like, I thought I understood that. I thought I had the doctrine down on that one. And then it's like, this happened, right? And then it's yep. kind of like, okay, we're, we're back, maybe not back to square one, but we're kind of back again to a point of, wow, I have a lot to learn, a lot to grow in. And I think mm. if we can keep this humility in mind, I think that's amazingly a, an exciting journey that we have in our faith.
0: Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I think if we don't manage to keep the humility in mind ourselves that God uh, presents us with opportunities where humility is the only way out, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so
2: yes, uh, you
0: know you find us. it somehow. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, well, so I agree. mean, I mean, I think that's actually a great segue into what you know what we wanted to talk about today, and and that is obviously an incredibly personal uh, journey that you and your family have been in recently, uh, mm-hmm. in the in the kind of topic of gender dysphoria. Uh, and that uh, might be a relatively new topic to to some people listening um, and obviously, you know, has had a major impact uh, on on you personally, your family, uh, and also, I'm sure, in terms of your understanding of the mystery of God. And I guess um, my first question would be maybe tell us a little bit about the background to this journey. And then in that, I guess, explain to us a little bit about what gender dysphoria is um, and, and how that came to be something that's now a present story in your uh, narrative of your family.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, Well, um, I I guess I'll preface everything uh, that I'm going to say from this point by uh, just acknowledging that I will speak from my experience and that of my family and I will share from um, situations that we have encountered that are personal to us, but I would not presume to ever speak for the transgender community or the queer community as a whole. It's an Mm -hmm. incredibly diverse community full of people with very unique stories and experiences, mm. and so I'll just share that this is what life has been like for us for the last uh, for our family, the probably the last four to five years, and for our eldest child, they would say the last ten to twelve years. Uh, so I mentioned that we've got two children. Our eldest uh, Jay was uh, born biologically male, mm-hmm. and uh, our next child Sophia um, is is a female is a Mm -hmm. girl a daughter and jay has had a very um challenging life from the uh, from early days um because while we whilst we were living in hong kong and part of the vine jay was diagnosed with an advanced form of leukemia so we had two years of hospitalization and treatment mostly at queen mary hospital there in hong kong and uh, jay uh came through that experience physically well but obviously, with a legacy of some very difficult and traumatic experiences that they're still unpacking, right, uh, be- right. particularly because of some of the treatments involving brain radiation and uh, just life um, in that situation when you're only six years old is, is yeah. difficult. Uh, so that that was sort of the the backstory of our family. And uh, when we moved back to Australia, Jay was just about to turn eight and Sophia was five, and uh, well, I think life went on, you know, we had the normal ups and downs of transitioning back into our home country and, you know, a bit of culture shock, et cetera, uh, and I was oblivious to the fact that there was really anything going on in Jay's life other than what I'd describe as normal growing pains, teenage angst, right. you know, search for, dis- for independence, etc. Jay's an incredibly intelligent and articulate young person, and so they have always had lots of questions about everything. And so we, from as early as I can remember, had lots of questions about faith and God. And in the early years, would uh, you know, Jay would say had um, a relationship with God. Uh, but by the time Jay was seventeen, life was incredibly difficult in our home. Jay was uh, at times violent and very anxious and depressed, and um, that was an incredibly dark and difficult time for us as a family, not really understanding what was going on or why it was happening and not knowing how to help Jay.
2: Right.
0: And it was when uh, just after Jay turned 18 and was graduating from high school here in Australia that uh, Jay had a nervous breakdown And we were able to get quite immediate help, which was fantastic, but still very overwhelmed. And in the process of counselling associated with that, uh, I think it was probably about two months of counselling or seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist uh, that one day Jay um, sat down with me on my own. Gary's um, uh, an airline pilot with CAFE, currently not flying. (laughs) But right, um, yeah. and it, he, he was away at the time and so it was just Jay and I and Jay told me that uh, actually I think that I was born in the wrong body and I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. And that was the beginning of uh, a really incredibly challenging and oh, emotionally harrowing, confronting, heart-wrenching uh, journey for Mm. our family um we were heartbroken that jay had been living with so much pain for so long Mm -hmm. and had not felt um that they were able to communicate that and you know access help Uh, we were also then confronted with questions about a subject we knew next to nothing about right and trying to work out the best way for to be the best parents we can be to jay Mm. Uh, and also having to confront a lot of questions um, ourselves for Gary and I and Sophia as what does this actually mean? What do we think about this? Uh, what does our church community think about this? How will right. our family handle this? Yeah. And how do we help Jay flourish in life and live a whole, free, fulfilled life? You know that I know God wants Jay to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let-
1: I just want to pick up on that initial moment, um, obviously uh, a shocking moment for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I'm just amazed at the sheer amount of courage it must have taken for Jay to, ha- mm. to have that conversation. Um, mm. I'm assuming it was probably something they were wrestling with for some time. Um, what, you know, As you reflect back on that conversation, what, what was that like for you and, and what were some of the initial emotions that came?
0: Uh, I I mean, I was absolutely flabbergasted. Um, it was, it was not even remotely on my radar that that would be what Jay would confess to me. Um, I mean, if I'm going to be, you know, totally honest as the conversation started to happen, I thought, are you going to tell me that you're gay? Right. And, um, I'm like, ah, Oh, okay. You know, so I started mm-hmm. processing that. So when then when Jay said, I believe that I'm transgender, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. Uh, and, you know, I'm ashamed to admit, you know, as every parent, <laughs> we don't always handle things as well as we could <laughs> the well, first well, time. I do. I do.
1: But but I know that <laughs> most, most of the world doesn't, yeah. So I understand that.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, um, it's uh, – Uh, Yeah, it it was just like uh, I I don't have words Mm. um, really and then the words that I did find were, you know, upon reflection really about trying to reassure myself rather than Jay Mm, Um, because I saw very quickly the future that I had anticipated for our family, myself and for Jay now going from, you know, sort of a blurry colour to just grey fade out. You know, I've got Mm -hmm. no idea Mm -hmm. what's ahead of us now, nothing. I I don't know how to make sense of anything you're saying to me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means and Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do Mm. and maybe if I close my eyes when I open them. That won't be happening. That won't
1: be that won't be and <laughs> yeah. you know what's interesting, just as, I, as I'm as i reflecting, I mean, I'm, I'm new to this story as well. Uh, you know, and as I'm reflecting on what you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, it, it's kind of interesting that you felt perhaps in that moment the same emotions that Jay had been feeling for years, uh, mm. which was suddenly a sense of loneliness, suddenly a sense of my world's being turned upside down, you know, a sense mm. of confusion, maybe fear, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that was present for you uh, off the back of that conversation. And that had been obviously what what they had been walking in, you know, for some time. Uh, So in some sense, there's a solidarity in that moment, even though maybe that wasn't the feeling in the moment. Have you kind of reflected back a little bit on kind of how your journey might have paralleled with their journey in some ways? I don't know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, That's a great insight. We, I think, You know, now we're four years into this sort of chapter of the story. uh, I often reflect back on uh, what, um, and I don't use this word lightly, but what a gift it has been to be in relationship with someone who is as brave and resilient and courageous as Jay and who has just this determination to. Not um, give up on who they know they really are, and and the search to to really bring clarity to that. Uh, you know, I've chatted with Jay before our conversation, and so I I feel okay in saying that you know Jay is on a journey of establishing a strong sense of identity, and that journey is not over. Right, and and so they are exploring really what is the truest and best and most authentic reflection of who they are in mm-hmm. the way that they present to the world. And that is something that they're, they're still working out. But I, what I've come to realise is that that's a journey we're all on in our own context and, you know, some of the details are a little bit different. They don't necessarily involve uh, things, gender-determinant behaviours and presentations, but right. we're all looking for a way to find the freedom to be the person that we know we really are inside, regardless of how the world around us labels us or accepts us or not. Hmm. And to have the confidence as, um, you know, Jay was, had just turned 18, to be able to say confidently, knowing the consequences of what they were saying if they were to begin to present in the way that they believe that they truly are, the gender that they believe they really are, that they would experience persecution, shame, uh, rejection and abandonment by a whole range of groups and individuals, but determined to do it anyway, uh, there is absolutely no way that is a phase or a whim. Mm
2: -hmm. Right.
0: That is... um, that, that is an, an incredibly courageous step to give, you know, authentic voice to their experience. And as a parent, um, the best thing that I can do is to provide a safe space, unconditional love and acceptance, and be the soft, the soft place where they fall at times. Right. Not, you know, not be the sharp edges. Uh, because the world gives them plenty of sharp edges and uh, I don't think that that's my my job um, as jay's mum you know jay's all, you know almost twenty three so where um you know we're learning and growing together that's for mm. sure and I'm incredibly proud of jay and mm. have learned so much from them in the way that they um, are trying to live you know their life yeah. I think it's uh, such a
1: I, th- I think it's such a great reflection that you've brought there, which I think I, I don't think, unless you'd been through obviously this journey together, um, that we just don't have that kind of reflection. Which is a lot of, you know, there's a realness and a truthfulness to these perception of them themselves and their identity um, that is probably at a level that many of us long to have, you know. Um, and I think you see this a lot even within the church, you know, context where, um, you know, and, and to be honest, even what's happened over the last year with COVID and in our city here in Hong Kong with its political context, mm. this mm. deep search for identity. Who are we truly, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, I think it's a profound thing that, you know, you've been able to sort of, I guess, come alongside of Jay and and, and journey with with them in that. But then equally, I guess, you, you know, you've come to that reflection for others and gone like, wow, this is actually something. So I, w- I wanted to ask you about your identity. Um, how has, you know, how has Jay's journey influenced and inspired perhaps your own personal journey in maybe reevaluating yourself, uh, maybe sort of wrestling with elements of your identity as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, uh, you know, as a pastor before, but now as a ministry leader in this uh, She Is project. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about sort of what's happened for your own personal identity journey.
0: Mm, wow. That's a big question. Um, yeah, sorry. yeah, every everything. Um, I feel like I have been turned upside down, inside out, multiple times. Yet at the same time, I think that that you know, whether you call it the pr- the the pressing, the crushing, the sifting, or whatever sort of Christian term we use, depending on the message we're giving, um, that that has been the thing that has brought out you know, a, a clearer sense of who I really am mm. uh, because um, what we have journeyed through with Jay, and and not everyone's story is like this, but Jay's um, journey uh, as identifying as transgender, Jay experiences significant gender dysphoria, which not every transgender person does. And so right. gender dysphoria relates to the distress that a person feels um, because of the biological sex that they, uh, presentation that they have. So, you know, a really strong sense of distress, pain, anguish, Mm -hmm. um, and that led Jay, um, you know, at times to really dark places in their mental health, which has Mm -hmm. had a profound effect on the atmosphere in our home and the challenges for us as parents not just of Jay, but also of Jay's sister, Sophia, Having how we navigate that, how that then affects our extended family, how it affects the way that we communicate to people about who we are, what the makeup of our family is. All of those things and many more um, really spoke or, you know, unravelled me at the core because I realised I cared a lot about how people viewed me. I cared a lot about presenting the nicely packaged, well presented, um, you know, tied in a bow, right? Christian family, you know, not perfect. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we're a little messy around the edges, but let's face it, actually, we're awesome, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing. And I mean, I just had to throw all that out the window because (laughs) I could, there's some days, you know, I just don't even want to know the things that people, had they been a fly on the wall in our house, the things they would have heard or the Mm -hmm. things they would have seen. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And so I really didn't have the energy to continue any sort of facade or pretense about the packaging of us anymore. Wow. uh, All of my energy was in how do I keep my child alive initially? How do I keep myself sane? And how do I rebuild out of the rubble of all the things that I thought we were going to be and have something that is healthy and whole and beautiful? Uh, because I knew that was possible because I, through the darkest, most confusing and um, scary times of of the journey of, you know, my whole life as a parent and, uh, and a human, I suppose, I can say without a conviction that, I have never felt that God was absent. I have just at times not liked him <laughs> and um, and I've realised that he's okay with that and I'm not the only person that feels that way.
2: Right, <laughs> yes, yes. But
0: ha- having that strong sense of knowing the presence of God in the midst of suffering
2: mm-hmm. and
0: the midst of the unexpected
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, became the anchor of my identity and so... My uh, identity change because I was forced to understand, in a way that I didn't know was possible, what it really means to love unconditionally.
1: That's actually something I wanted to uh, really pick up with you because, um, you know, in 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 prior conversations we've had, um, you know, you you've shared with me a little bit about that moment uh, between you and Jay, uh, where I think you know, that concept of what it is to love unconditionally really kind of came to the fore. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and maybe just pick up on what you learned about love in the midst of that?
0: Yeah, it was so uh, such a big moment. I didn't feel like it at the time because I was so angry Um, because I pride myself on, you know, being able to keep it together and being, you know, reasonably competent at stuff. Mm -hmm. And Jay um, in, you know, high emotion said to me, you don't love me. You say you do, but you love your memories of me. You love the me that you want me to be or the me that you think I should be. You don't really love me. And I immediately, I, you know, I didn't go, oh, my gosh, what a profound insight you've just shared with me. I went, <laughs> well, that's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Of course I love you. I've known you before you were born. Of course I love you. And Jay just looked at me and said, not the real me. Hmm. And, you know, thank God at that moment that I actually stopped talking and let the significance of that sink in. Hmm. And I have reflected on that so many times. Uh, I mean, our life together is much easier now than it has been in the past. Uh, But I reflect on that moment and not just in my relationship with Jay, but in the relationship I have with Gary, my husband, and with Sophia, and Mm. the relationship I have with God and other people. Uh, Am I loving you the way that because, you know, you're presenting the way I want you to? Am I loving you because you're doing what I think you should do? Right. Or am I actually giving you the freedom to be, show me who you really are and love that? Because (laughs) that's what God does for us. and I realized through jay's you know heartfelt anguish cry you know and insight that i hadn't actually had the courage to say that about myself you know because that's really what i was saying but you know to god so many times is can you love me for the person i really am right right but i i was just so loath to actually be honest with god about the person i really was like the person that you know, I enjoy saying bad words at, at times. I, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I say things I shouldn't say, do things I shouldn't do. You know, sometimes, you know, the mm. list is long and sure. diverse. But I I was always about, oh, if I can package it appropriately and if I can put a sort of the, the most appropriate Christian phrase around it, people were like, oh, yes, I see the joy in your struggle. She's so authentic. It's like nothing has shown me authenticity more than my my eldest child and um, that their ability to call BS on me has meant that I am now much more readily able to call BS on myself and um, and actually go no that's you've got to own that you've got to show up as the person that you really are and the great thing that that's done for me is that I know you know with no sort of Pride or arrogance. I am more loving now than I have ever been, wow. and yeah. I I could not have got there without the experiences that we have had with Jay to to look beyond labels and stereotypes and sound bites, particularly in this age of social media. Gosh, do my head in mm-hmm. to be able to sit and listen to people and say, Can you tell me more? Can I understand Mm -hmm. some more of your story? Can you share some more about that? Rather than thinking I already knew everything that I needed to know Yeah, because I'm a Christian.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think this is, I mean, there's so much. Profound wisdom you're you're bringing at the moment, and I think something that everybody listening is going to resonate with, uh, and I think find deeply challenging. I'm sitting here as a pastor, going, "Wow, this is deeply challenging." <laughs> like for me, and from my context, I really do appreciate you being willing to share your journey and to share your learnings because um, I I think you know you're representing something that is that is um a brutal truth. It's probably a good way of saying it. You know, it's a truth, but mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It's a hard truth to mm-hmm. hear and to know. It's like you know, do we truly love people? For who they truly are. You know, that is the mm-hmm. ultimate question. And it is, like you say, the ultimate question that God, the the scriptures answer as to like, you know, Jesus Christ is the one who has and will love us as we truly are. Mm-hmm. It does, though, bring me into reflections around the church. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd just be curious to ask, you know, your journey with the church in the midst of this. I know that um, you know this is a very big topic. It's a sensitive topic. Um, Mm. Churches have different perspectives and opinions about LGBTQ plus queer communities, Mm. transgender, Um, and obviously, you know, we're not going to go into all of the theological elements of that. But, but I guess, like your experience as a mother in the midst of this, what Mm. was it? What was it that you saw the church do that? was frustrating and what was it that perhaps did you, was there anything that was kind of healing for you in the church? Because I'm sure that there's probably are some people listening to this who maybe are in this journey or have friends in this journey. Um, and I think the church mm-hmm. could really learn from your perspective uh, and from others like you with that perspective. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that question. It's, again, it's a big question because I've had very mixed experiences um, and, and they can't be defined by a particular denomination or gathering. Um, you know, I think in any group of um, Jesus followers, there will be some who are less gracious than others, and that's been my experience. So I wouldn't like to sort of label any particular group as being difficult, but uh, I was so fortunate that um, before we began this journey with Jay that I um, began a relationship with a couple of people from the church that I now attend who were so gracious and accepting and um, non-judgmental. I, I, to this day, I, I don't think I could even tell you what their actual personal opinion is on uh, the queer community at large
2: mm-hmm.
0: because that hasn't been relevant Right. They have listened, they have um, cried with me, they have laughed with me, they have encouraged me and been present in a way that uh, has been incredibly healing and uh, made it possible to survive. I think, uh, you know, there certainly is can be a bit in the news at times about uh, particularly the trans, you know, transgender issues mm-hmm. uh, in, involving inclusion or inclusive uh, things and some Christian groups come out quite passionately opposed. The, the issue that I have with that is the same issue I have with anybody who stands on some sort of soapbox or platform and broadcasts is that you need to sit with the community that you are so quick to condemn Mm -hmm. and then decide what it is you're going to say. But standing at a distance and shouting at people was never, ever the way that Jesus engaged. And Jesus is the clearest, most powerful representation of God's heart for everything. And so I model as best as I can my engagement with people, the way that Jesus engaged with them. And I think in every time that you see Jesus engage with someone on the margins, he is not... Far away, He is up close. He is sitting in the dirt. He is standing at the well. He is drawing close. He is noticing just a touch in a crowd. And each one of those interactions I think broadcast to us as the modern day church is that people on the margins are important and they are worthy of your time and attention and their story matters. And that labelling people is never helpful. The only thing that's helpful is to sit and meet a person. And then when you've sat and talked to people from, you know, in this case, um, you know, whether whether it's gay community or transgender community or just the queer community generally, mm-hmm. I, I find it impossible to speak negatively or with any sense of judgment once I've, once I've sat and talked to a, to a human being. <laughs> because their stories are so complex and nuanced,
1: right? And I think that's that's a beautiful way of saying it—a human being. And I think so often, um, over the years, the church can be guilty of actually f- sort of uh, labeling uh, as a way of sort of perhaps extracting the humanity out of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and actually, when we sit in the reality of this beautiful thing that we are made in the image of God, um, and you know, we each carry this image and we carry it uh, in a unique way. Um, And I think as we place that idea of humanity in the image of God in the Mm -hmm. forefront of our minds as we're journeying with people, uh, and like you say, we keep those labels to one side and we listen to story, um, I think that actually is the way, uh, not just the way of Jesus, as you say, but also the way that I think Jesus wanted the church to be. Mm. Um, And, um, you know, uh, we do drift from that um, many times. Um, so I'm just grateful that, you know, you've, you know, and people like you who who have gone through this kind of journey, and perhaps because that journey has come to your doorstep. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, this was something that you couldn't avoid, right? It, it came to you Correct. and you had to then adjust. And for those of us that perhaps it's not at our immediate doorstep, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, learning from you, listening to you, listening to those like you who have gone through this journey is 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 a critical first step. So mm-hmm. um, I, I want to just ask also, as we kind of draw this to a close, but, but talk a little bit about um, your relationship with God and how that's kind of changed in the midst of all this. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about obviously, you know, understanding love in a different way, and I'm sure that's had an impact. But what are what are some other ways? Like, have the, has there been elements of, say, a theological foundation you've had in the past, or a, a way of kind of thinking about God in the past that now, post this journey, or whilst you're still in the midst of this journey, um, you've had to really wrestle with that, and and you've come away thinking differently, or or at least approaching things differently.
0: Mm. Well, I I suppose to go back to one of your earlier comments, I think about the mystery of God mm. uh, that that um, that's probably the, the, the best heading for where I'm at is <laughs> I, I've just dived in deep into the mystery um, because I've realized, you know, for a number of, you know, because of a number of experiences that um, we've had, you know, my husband's had cancer, Jay's had cancer. Um, I've, you know, suffered betrayals and all sorts of things and disillusionment with, um, you, you know, the church experience at times, and then where we currently are. That, in order to, um, you know, find God in the midst of all of those things, I've had to broaden my focus because a lot of the time, you know, the circumstances I found myself, I'm like, I don't, nothing in my background or. Uh, church experience had prepared me for God to be present in this right and so I feel like he should be but now I've got to find him and not that he was hidden from me but I didn't necessarily have the tools or the language or previously the opportunity to see him present himself in the midst of the queer community in the midst of a cancer ward you know in the midst of a you know a disheartened, disillusioned pastor who who had experienced, you know, deep betrayal, uh, that I, because my love for God, I suppose, has never really wavered in the sense that it's always been present uh, and I am now in that place where I guess I just am ready to see him Anywhere. <laughs> I I right. basically expect him to literally be everywhere in everything. And that's been a great gift to me because especially in the era, era of COVID when a lot of the things that you know would normally be associated with typical Christian practice and meeting together and doing things a particular way, we haven't got to experience that. And for yeah. me, i f- I have felt well prepared for that because I I love people and I miss not being able to gather with people the way that we used to, but I am so aware of God's presence in nature and I am so aware of God's presence when I look at the faces, even if they're wearing masks <laughs> of the people. <laughs>
2: the <laughs> that
0: eyes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, just as you go about your business in shopping centres or supermarkets because, you know, through these last few years particularly, you know, God, basically asked me, you know, can can you find me in the face of every person you meet? Because that's where I am. You know, like you said, you know, we're all image bearers of God. And so whilst ever there's another human around, I know there's something that I can learn of God from that person. And, you know, God is in creation. And so that just exploring the, you know, just the majestic breadth and depth of God in um, in life has been amazing, amazing, and um, that's I think kept my faith vibrant and engaged and uh enjoyable
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is so important having uh, having been through obviously what you guys have been through as a family and i think keeping joy in there and finding joy discovering joy in the midst of that um Mm -hmm. yeah is such an important thing linda i'm just so so grateful for um you being willing to be a part of this conversation i know it takes a lot of courage both again we we thank jay for for their courage and for their willingness to allow you to to share their story today um for for you linda for being willing to put yourself, you know, vulnerably out there before everyone, and 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 just kind of bring this, whilst you're still, you know, like you say, in the midst of it, uh, as you guys are still journeying in this together as a family, um, really deeply grateful for that because it's that level of humility and vulnerability that I think opens up for everybody else their own ability to process their own stories. So thank you so much. How, how can uh, people stay in touch with you? How do they connect into the Shias projects? What are what are some ways that um, those that are listening can do that?
0: Oh, thanks. Um, so um, I've got a website, which is where I share stories from women all over the world, um, which is thesheisproject.org. Uh, and that's probably the easiest place. There's an email address there if people want to get in touch. I'm always keen to chat, um, which is Linda at the She Is Project, and I'm on social media as the She, she Is Project um, as well. Um, right. So that's probably the best starting point and um, super Super motivated to talk to people. I, you know, I love humans. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're a passer through and through. Um, you, should a, you should do a podcast, Linda. I'm calling it out. A Shears podcast that that needs to be. Is that something you do already, or that needs to be something? Well,
0: you do? we did in the height of COVID um, when I wasn't able to get out and meet people as much as I normally do to write right, their stories. Right. Um, we did a few Instagram lives, which I did love. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but you've inspired me because you, you know, you've taken the thought and actually put it into action. And uh, you, you now I've totally finished my studies, yeah. I, I've got no excuse, right? So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> well, all, all the best with that, and and thank you thanks. again for uh, just being a part of this today and for sharing your story.
0: Oh, thanks for providing the platform. It's you just it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much.
1: there you go that's pretty much episode seven in the bag so grateful for linda and for jay for allowing us to hear their story and learn from their experience i think there's a lot of richness for us to take out of that conversation uh, coming up in our next episode episode eight uh, i chat with madeline miller who's currently an ordinand in the church of england based in london um, about uh, the passing of her father um, her father uh, passed away a number of years ago uh, from motor neuron disease and we talk a little bit about death uh, a little bit about grief uh, and a lot about beauty and art and i think there's a lot in there for you if you've ever experienced grief or if you know somebody who's going through grief at this time Um, i think there's a lot of uh, beautiful richness in what madeline shares out of her personal story so that's coming up in the next episode in a few weeks time thanks again you can reach out to us uh, and connect with us on uh, the following email Contact a broken hallelujah at gmail.com. I love to hear your feedback and get connected to you. Uh, so please do reach out. Uh, otherwise, God bless everyone and can't wait to chat with you next time.